Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Okay. How common is it to have nocturnal emissions for a recovering SSA? My husband is 45 years old and has been sober for two plus years. We have not had sex for the past three months now, and he seems to have nocturnal emissions weekly. Well, I don't, I don't know what's really going on. And I don't know whether this is something your spouse has explained to you or you've actually experienced. I've had a lot of clients say, oh, I'm having nocturnal emission. Well, let me back up. When a man does not have sex for a period of time, um, which sometimes we really recommend nothing at all. Um, by the way, men think, well, is something going to break or fall off or no, no. What will happen is you'll have an, your body will take care of itself. You know, if if you need to release in some way, both chemically and physically, like when you're 13, you'll have a nocturnal emission. However, every single week. Um, and also, what does he define as this? Because I've heard men say, you know, um, I get aroused at night and I masturbate because I'm uncomfortable, but it's a nocturnal emission because, you know, I was aroused and I wasn't really looking at porn and I wasn't with someone and it was during the night. And so I would be very clear. Here's a great way to do it. I've never told you this, Tammy. One of the rules I used to have the, with the guys who had this kind of problem is I said, I want you to buy a pair of um, pajamas and I want you with a string and I want you to tie it really tight. And then I want you to put a knot in it and make sure it doesn't have, you know, one of those things you pee out of. I don't know what you call those things. A because, fly. Yeah. Make sure it doesn't have a fly because by the time you figure out how to undo that knot, you will be conscious enough to make right decisions. And isn't that great? I love that idea. Yeah. I know. Cause I thought of it, but you know, uh, you can't go do masturbation generally when you are still wearing a couple of layers of clothes. So I think nocturnal emission needs to be defined. I also, Tammy, you might say a little bit about what we're hearing about therapy, about couples, about, you know, this might be a partner who needs to go to the betrayal group. We have also a training for betrayed partners so that you can understand what this stuff means and how to address it. What are your thoughts about nocturnal well, emissions, what Tammy? I was, it, 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 <laughs> where, where I got caught was the, um, he's been sober two and a half years and we haven't had sex in three months. So it feels like there's something going on because mm -hmm. at this point, you know, if it's two years and he's in really good recovery, um, uh, not just abstinence, it, 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 it would, I would think that there are repairs to the relationship. Now there could be physical I mean, somebody could have had surgery. Somebody, I mean, like there could be lots of other non-addiction reasons for it. But I was curious about that. And I am curious about, you know, what has the recovery journey been? You know, if it's just stopping the problematic behaviors, that's, again, abstinence. And that doesn't mean there's any real changes. It just means, okay, I've stopped doing that. Um, but it hasn't addressed the underlying issue. So, so to me, there's a lot of, um, you know, and, and the other thing I would do is, you know, if, I mean, if he's not gone to a urologist in a while, like getting a medical, Thank you. Um, you know, getting a medical, um, especially screening. at 45. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that's just good taking care of your body. So, um, did you know that, that they're recommending colonoscopies for 45 and older? It used to be, I don't know, 55 or something because 
because, well, because. Um, there was other, one other thing, sorry, I wanted to say about this, which is triggered by what you just said, Tammy, which is in, in unbelievably, sex and love addicts are, are sexually avoidant with people that we care about. Um, we can, I can have sex with a million, well, not a million, but I can have sex with lots of strangers and be totally aroused and enjoy it. But being with my partner and being in bed, and I'd rather read the New York Times. And that's not because, or any journal that you like. But the point is, is that once we stop acting out, then we have to work, a, a, work toward creating healthy sexual intimacy with our partners, because a lot of us don't know how. And many, many sex addicts are so used to intensity, like I'm going to see this hot body, but, and then I'm going to go and I'm all excited and I can't wait. Healthy sexuality doesn't always happen that way. I may not look at my partner and say, wow, look at this part or look at that part, because I've seen those parts for a long time. So sexuality has to come out of, do I give you a back massage? Do I, do I nurture you in some physical way? Um, how are we exchanging uh, some kind of physical interaction? One of the goals, I think, for us sex addicts, and I love this phrase, and I have to say this came from um, Omar Manuala, is, um, is um, sex addicts in recovery have to move from horniness, meaning that's what turns me on, that's what, to willingness which means I am willing to stay here and try this out and explore with you, even though there are parts of me that want to run away. And we don't want to run away from you, by the way. We run away from the feelings that we have getting close to you because it brings up for us, believe it or not, trauma. We have our own stuff. There's a reason we act out sexually, but we're also intimacy avoidant. And so easing into a form of sexuality, it isn't about penetrative sex. It may be about massages, about hand-holding. I might comb your hair. You might rub my head. But we're going to get into situations that are intimate, where I am willing to connect. And guess what? I got aroused. And guess what? We had amazing sex. But it wasn't like we're going to go in there and have sex, because I think that can sort of push it away, especially with the histories that we all have. But I'm willing to begin to connect with you physically. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to connect with you physically. Um, by the way, I just want one more thing about all that. Um, sometimes partners don't want to be sexual. I'm going to say this about addicts too. But, you know, you can hold me while I'm sexual with myself. You know, that's not the same as going out and masturbating on my own. I might check it out with someone else. I might hold you while you engage. And you know what? <gasps> I might get excited too. So I think there are many ways to engage in sexuality that don't have to be what we think about as sexuality. Uh, when I use the word intimate, Tammy, almost everyone goes to the word sex. And, you know, I think when I say to you, Tammy, I'm really struggling with this and my dog, you know, my dog is getting older and Tammy moves toward me, says, that's so hard and me too. And that's intimate. We are in different states. We're not going to have sex, but I can open my heart and my feelings to her and she will move toward me. That is intimacy. Sexual intimacy is sort of the end point of all of the intimacy that comes before. And like I said, most spouses are not complaining about sex. They're complaining about a lack of connection. Next question. So it, let's see. Um, hang on, I gotta get my, 
there's my mouse wasn't moving. My 61 year old husband discovered on October of 21, he's a porn addict and began acting out physically 12 years ago. I was blindsided. We were to, we, yeah, we were together 30 years, had formal disclosure, which it now appears he left some info out that would really oh, hurt sure. me. His, yes. His therapist did not think these details were important. He went to an intensive, not years we didn't know about SI then, and had a counselor, did 12-step, et cetera. He was lying to everyone about his recovery. He violated his inner circle early on, about five-month mark, not physically, but reached out to acting out partners and lied for another five months until he failed his follow-up polygraph. He has said he has now hit rock bottom and gone to a 38-day in person. I kicked did him you out. mean inpatient? Is that what I, mean? I guess. And I'm like, why didn't he I'm come not, to us? Why didn't they come time? to us? So, I know. Anyway. I don't know. Okay, I kicked him out as my boundaries were strict and clear. He's moved into an apartment. Is there hope for someone who has lied and been an addict for so long? I feel like there is more hope for younger men, but struggle believing someone could change at this age. So, so you know, we run a treatment center, and I think there's two or three men. I know we have one who's 77. Uh, I think we've we had have, over 80. We have a 68 year old. It is never too late to become a better person. And how do you want to go out of this world? You know, what kind of, how do you want to feel about yourself? And then there's always what I say to the older men, which is who's going to clean up your poop when you're pooping your diapers and you can't get across the room because you need a walker. Who's going to be there for you when you're not thinking of yourself as young and sexy and all of that. The other thing is, and this is, I truly believe this, but I don't know your situation. Addicts don't start at, let me do my math, at 47 or something, 48. It's a lifelong condition. I do not believe that this partner spouse of yours started at, you know, 47. I think this has been a lifelong issue in one way or the other. Um, a lot of people say, oh, the porn doesn't matter. In your case, it might be this, or I just get massages, or I don't know what else is going on, but there is more to this story. And by the way, if you were blindsided, I would not want to tell you about it. So I think there's more being left out than you realize. I, I'm almost positive about it. And um, I think, and by the way, I, I, yeah, and he's lying to everyone, violated inner circles. So let me just say one more thing about all that. We don't have an intensive. Intensives are things you do for a week or a weekend, or maybe you do, yeah, usually that. And you're sitting in class, you know, you're sitting doing a lot of emotional work and all that. We have residential treatment. That means we are working with you 24-7. I'm there. Um, we are kicking your butt and loving you at the same time. And it is not, I've taken intensives on relation. You know, my husband guy, I went to a weekend on improved communication. That's an intensive. I know one of the programs that we work with has a one-week intensive on this, a program that does a lot of residential work. That's not it. And if you spouses think, oh, well, they went to a weekend or they spent a week, that's not really intense. That is not intensive therapy. They're sitting in a group with 25 other men. It's more like the courses we teach online. But if you are in a crisis and this is that long of a relationship and he is still lying um, and now he's out of the house, if he really wants. So let me say this. If I, uh, I heard you make an excuse which is he's already been to an intensive, but he didn't get it. He's not getting better. So I don't know what 38 days of in-person meant. I don't know. 
but these kinds of issues are not going to get resolved in outpatient therapy. Um, and he lies. All and the his therapist let him. His therapist did not think these enabled. details were. I know. I'm like that. Just turns my gut. Yeah, I would not be seeing. I would not. Now your husband gets to see whoever he wants. But what I was going to say, the last piece is, I don't know whether he wants to be in a relationship with you anymore. But if he does, then you. This is why I named the book "Out of the Doghouse." He's in the doghouse. And you're the, but you're the dog mom inside who gets to decide whether he gets to come back in or not because he has dirtied his home. So if he wants to come back in and be with you, you get to decide what he has to do. If you say to them, and I, you know, you don't have to come to us, you're going to have to go to real treatment, not just an intensive. You give Tammy a call, or I don't want to talk to you. He's going to have to decide. I guess there's some things I have to do to be in this marriage. Four meetings a week, therapy twice a week. I don't care what, taking this course. I think you have you need to be able to identify the things that make you feel safe, um, not things he said, well, I did this, or I talked to my therapist about that, because he lies. And I'll just say this, the clients I worry the most about are the ones who lie to their recovery groups and lie to their therapists. You know, it's one thing to lie to your partner, but when you sit in meetings and say, I have a year sober, I have six months sober, there's something more troubling to me about that um, in a support group because people start to look at you like, well, maybe they can help me or you're a role model or whatever that is. And those are the kind of lies I really don't want to have because if nothing else, I don't want to hurt other people. And if I am lying and I'm saying how good this is and how helpful that is, I'm not helping them. Uh, and I'm certainly not helping myself. Um, behaviors have consequences. You might write that one down. Behaviors have consequences. And the behavior you're talking about, I think, needs a higher level of consequence. Um, and who knows? Lord knows what he's doing out there while he's living on his own. So, well, anyway. I, I don't know if he's living on his own. So, I'm going to tag Pardon in me. with three months. Um, we've had guys who have been to every, every other treatment program. And I always say, if we're not your first treatment program, we sure want to be your last. And so, I don't know what where he's at. Doesn't matter. Um, they typically don't work from a codependent lens. I've seen paperwork from some of the others, and it's all about codependency and what are you doing? You know, what COSA group are you going in? Like blaming partners um, and spouses for the addict's behavior. So um, you ask if there's hope. It's not about the age. It is absolutely about the willingness. So what Dr. Rob talked about. It's like we, we've had guys in their 20s, you know, and over 80. And, and you know what, for the ones that want help, and they're going to get, well, at our program, they get expert treatment to address not just the problematic behavior, but the underlying issues. So, so I don't know what, you know, what he's, what help he's getting. I, I'm going to go back to you. I'm, you know, you, you kicked him out. So what are you doing to take care of you? We have a betrayed partner work group starting March 1st on the Seeking Integrity site. Um, so I would consider joining that. We've got, you know, drop-in groups and webinars. You're here. That's good. Um, but, you know, it's your healthy boundaries and it's for your physical safety, financial safety, emotional safety, and spiritual safety. What do you need? And if he's not able to attend to those, how do you make sure that you're taking care of you? So, um, but I'm and really I sorry. I, I really hate children, when, grandchildren, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. um, I have a client in treatment who said, oh my God, I can't bring, but I can't fix the harm I caused to my kids, but I could really be like a granddad, but not while he's going to massage parlors three days a week. And no, I want to be sitting 
on that patio in a rocking chair with my spouse rocking back and forth. That's what I want my future to be. I also want to tell you, I'm 61 years old. I know it's hard to believe because I look so amazing, but I'm 61 years old. And I know now that I have an expiration date. I've lost, you know, I, I watch the news and I'm not an obituary, I guess I'm an obituary watcher, but I do see things on TV like so-and-so passed away. They had a great life. You know, they did this and that. They died at 74. And I'm thinking, oh, that's not that far away. How do I want to spend that time? You know, and, and I guess one more thing. For some reason, sex addicts think, number one, life's going to go on forever. And number two, I'm still incredibly attractive and I know I can get... Trust me, I don't look like I did at 50 or 40 at 30. And when you get older and you're out there looking for it, it ain't so pretty, um, you know, ending up paying for it or whatever happens. One more thing. Porn isn't just porn now. Porn is free for the most part because porn is a platform into someone saying, hi, I'm here living in, in, in uh, I don't know, the waters off Afghanistan in an island and you're paying me a dollar a day to strip naked. And so what the point of the of many of the porn websites is, is to get your credit card or whatever that is to get you paying someone to strip or do whatever they do. So even though just porn sounds like I'm looking at magazines, that world is very different than the one that I grew up in. Okay. Does sex addiction ever show up later in life as a majority of the out of the control acting out starts in their 40s, 50s, etc. I understand that makings of an addict happen in childhood with trauma. However, is it possible that an addict has lived the majority of his adult life not acting out other than watching porn occasionally, but then the out of control destructive behavior starts later in life? So my first response is no. We have lifelong trauma that started at an early age and we don't just start acting that out at 40. You know, um, these are ingrained psychological and biological patterns in our brain. So this did not start in this person's 40s. However, I want to make a caveat. Mental illness can arise when you're older. You can become or find yourself and, you know, as you're kind of an emotional immune system, you know, we get a little older, I have a cut, it takes longer to heal. Well, my brain not, may not be, well, it isn't what I was 20 years ago, and I may be more vulnerable to mental illness. And mental illness can lead to acting out. So if you ask me if someone in their 40s got incredibly depressed or started to get manic or they, got an, or they became OCD or whatever, I think if a psychiatrist says to me, You're, uh, if I went to a psychiatrist or if I didn't have a history of mental health issues later in life, then I would say no. And if that's the case, I would have the person evaluated just to make sure that this wasn't triggered by something else. Um, but in my experience, and Tammy can speak to her own, I, I have never seen a sex, I've seen sex addicts lie about when it starts all the time. But actually, I'll give you one more. I'm talkative tonight. Um, I, I've talked to addicts who've been married three times. And when I, you know, they're in this relationship now, but they've lost that one or, or they lost the one before. And almost every time when I say, well, how did you lose that relationship? Oh, she was this and they were that. And yeah, but was there infidelity there? Well, yeah. Is that what ended the relationship? Well, yeah. So it can take all kinds of forms, um, but I have not seen people just 
become sex addicts. The other thing I do want to say is alcohol and drugs. If they started using alcohol and drugs at a later point in life, then that might, or it escalated, that might also be something that leads to impulsive or out-of-control behavior. Um, yeah. Or yeah. they quit. I hear a lot. They oh, quit yeah. drinking, you know, 15 years ago, and so then they just switched to this. So, so that right. would be my only caveat is, were they doing something else that they stopped and this became, you know, right. Uh, right. The, so, so the, the addictive process was there, the dissociation, compartmentalization, right. but how they were playing it out might have been different. Um, I will also say that, yeah, it's addictions of whack-a-mole and, you know, I, it's also co-occurring. So it can be going on with other things. But anyway, I want to answer more questions. Okay. How do I... How do I be present and attend pro-dependence meetings and work on healing from infidelities when my partner of 27 years isn't sure she wants to be with me or her affair partner? So female addict, we live together. She isn't seeing him, her affair partner, and started slaw a few months ago. He is married and out of the picture right now. But do I do pro-dependence meetings for myself? Yes. And when uh, and when she is ready to say yes, I want to stay in our relationship. Thank you. So. So it's, you know, They're different questions. Yes. So, so yes, regardless of what we, and it doesn't matter male or female, you know, partner and addict in that you, you need support to take care of you, regardless of what the addict chooses to do or not do, you know, so you having healthy boundaries. And wh what I was thinking of is why does she get to be the one that picks, you know, what, what do you right. need to do to take care of you? Like, do you want to be with somebody who is, you know, waffling on like, and, and on no judgment, honestly, this is really like, I'm just thinking of things and going like, you know, like, do you want to go like, I, you know, I want to be in a relationship. I mentioned earlier, Dr. Rob's um, podcast with Dr. Stan Katkin, if we're putting our relationship first, we're better together. Dr. Rob talked about sitting on the front porch rocking, you know, with his spouse, you know, like that's a vision that he's holding for not tomorrow. You know, it's like, you know, so like, what, what do you visualize? And, right. and, and you're sitting there waiting, you know, is she going to pick me? Is she going to pick me? Do you pick somebody that is not able to step into the relationship in a real and meaningful way? Now you can put the relationship on hold and say, I'm willing to see you know, if she's really willing to do the work that, you know, that's, we call it safe harbor. We're going to, you know, we're going to take a time out and not make any major decisions and see, but like, I, I kind of want to push you a little bit to value setting healthy boundaries for you. What do you need for you? What do you, you need to value you the most because she isn't. So Tammy is feeling right. protective of yeah. someone who is letting a troubled person determine their life. Um, and she's encouraging you to empower yourself. Yes, you want the relationship. That's what you want most of all. But do you want to be pulled around? Yes, I want you. No, I don't want you. We have to set boundaries for ourselves, what we, are, what we can tolerate and what we can't. There are a couple of things I wanted to say specifically. Number one, I want to explain pro-dependence briefly. Thank you. Codependency is a model from the 1980s that basically says if you're involved with an addict, then there's something wrong with you. Um, you invited them in, you shouldn't be tolerating them, you need to go leave or individuate. Um, let's look at your past to figure out how you ended up in this relationship. There's a lot of picking at the spouse, I think with an implication of, 
let's see what part you have in it. In fact, I don't think that's implied, that's stated. What I'm interested in in, an, in a recovering partner is to say to you, I think you're amazing. To hang out in there with such a difficult relationship, to tolerate the lack of intimacy, to um, be willing to be open to things that are difficult. I think y'all are heroes. And I really, really do. <clears throat> you know, if I was around supporting my spouse through cancer, you would say, you're a hero. This is amazing. You've given up so much to be with them. That's amazing. Addiction is a disorder too. And if you decide to be with me, to work with me, to tolerate the difficulties, I'm going to say you have incredible strength and you're a hero. Not look at what's wrong with you. I think everything is right with you for being willing to try. I also want to say um, something about that. Um, one of the things that I think partners do, and I hear this a lot, you spouses, you hold a, the hope and the vision for who we might be or who we were. Um, you can see the possibilities. for Now, living on that, living on hope, not a good idea. But you can see who we are and who we might become. And to me, that's in part why you stay with the hope that maybe if we turn our lives around, we can begin to move toward that person that you thought we were. Um, so pro-dependence is a model that says, good for you for staying with that person um, because, oh, why did you stay? Because your mother did this and your father did that. No, you stay because you love this person. And just because someone has abused you and let you down, all of you spouses know you don't stop loving them. Um, and that's the painful part. And then there's a the part about I love them and I hate them at the same time. I look at them over here and they're amazing. I look at them over there and I hate them. You know, that's part of it. The other thing I wanted to say is about when, how or when to stay in a relationship. I got to say, this is what I do in consults. <laughs> I sit down with couples who are struggling with the meaning and the reality of where they are, and we get very clear about their next steps. Sometimes they don't even like what I had to say. I don't know if you knew that, Tammy, but I I'm do. really, <laughs> you probably hear about it. I am more interested in being respected when I work with you guys and you hear my voice, whether you like it or not, than you liken me. And these consults are a lot about shaking the attic and saying, what are you thinking? And in this case, I would want to say to your partner in front of you, how dare you put your partner's life on hold and you decide what's right and what isn't? I, would, I confront and I challenge because I would never want to see you treated like that. Anyway, I'm okay. I'm good. Let's keep going. I know, and there's so many good questions that we're, I, I want you to, you got to hang in there with me, a couple of them. So, well, But Tammy, Dr. I really appreciate that you're carrying them on to the next week. I, because I then am. nobody feels like, you know, no, they went on too long. No, but there's a couple of them, but yeah. So, okay, so thank you for all you do. I'm the offender in my marriage, and I'm going to, like, I bristle at that. So, um, and my wife and I have both been in recovery for almost six months now for the damage I've caused. I'm realizing for me that the battle with sex and intimacy begins in my mind. Do you have any suggestions or advice for retraining my mind? Well, first of all, you're not an offender. You may have, and I don't, if you mean sex offender, you know, that means very specific things. Right. And it has to do with non-consensual sex. It has to do with illegal sex. It has to do with a lot of things that leave someone being called an offender. You have offended your partner and what you've done is offensive. But the word offender, I worry about because it leads people to thinking about sex offender and sex addicts are not sex offenders. We don't cross that line. 
fortunately, most of us. Um, so what I don't see here, Tammy, I know what you're going to say. I don't see anything about 12-step programs. I don't see anything about support groups. I don't see anything about therapy. I don't even see anything about coming to the free groups we offer. So here's the deal. You cannot retrain your brain on your own. In fact, you will never retrain your brain. You will learn. It's like trauma. If a therapist came to me and said, I can cure trauma, I can make trauma all better, I would say, I never want to send someone to you because we are who we are and we've been through what we've been through, but we can learn to adapt to it. We can learn to live differently. We can learn to make conscious choices about how we're going to live our lives. But will that part that needs to be retrained going to be there? Absolutely. Because the part of our brain was trained when we were five or we were three or we were seven. And we can't go back and give ourselves a different training when our brains were just coming online. But as big adult people, we can learn through therapy, through 12-step programs, through accountability, how to recognize when we're thinking crazy and how to make other decisions. But the thinking crazy, that's not going to go away, unfortunately. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.